0: Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. Welcome to the show. Happy Tuesday to you. It's another day of doing my best to say as little as possible. I try my best to feature my guests and hear their wisdom on God's Word and how it applies to your life. Tuesdays, I get to connect with my Washington, D.C. correspondent, Mr. Rob Bluey, to get his take on what is happening in our nation's capital. Rob is the, ex- is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Rob, welcome.
1: Hey, Bill. It's good to be back with you. Thanks for having me today.
0: You bet. A lot going on in Washington today. Oh, my.
1: Oh, it certainly is a busy day, that is for <laughs> sure. We, we have uh, kind of dual tracks, maybe maybe more than just two tracks here. We've got yeah. uh, a lot of uh, President Biden's nominees who are still awaiting confirmation and moving through that process, uh, getting sworn into office. In the case of the Secretary of Veterans Affairs today, uh, we also um, have an impeachment trial, <laughs> the second impeachment trial we've had now in in the last uh, two years. And, and of course, there's that big bill uh, on COVID relief uh, mm-hmm. that is making its way through through Congress, um, and it's a big one. Uh, it is um, almost $2 trillion, which would be on top of the already $4 trillion. So a lot is at stake in Washington. These are, are certainly uh, busy times indeed.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's start with the impeachment. That seems to be the one of the top orders uh, going on today.
1: That's right. So today was opening the opening day and uh, opening statements. So typically, you know, what you'd expect to see in a t- type of court trial, uh, President Trump's attorneys uh, presented uh, their arguments. Of course, the the former president, uh, Donald Trump, has argued that the uh, p- mere fact that the Senate is even holding this trial is unconstitutional because he's already left office. Uh, impeachment is meant to remove somebody from office. So, you know, there's no reason to proceed with it. Uh, of course, the Democrats who are now in control of the Senate. Have have disagreed with that, and they said that there is still a reason for holding the former president accountable for for his actions, uh, which they say incited the riot at the Capitol on January sixth. Um, Republicans are already on the record. Forty five of them uh, voted already to dismiss the uh, the trial because they said that you shouldn't try a former president. So I don't think that there probably going to be many surprises where where the two sides line up. There will be couple of Republicans who vote to convict the president. I think it'll fall short of the two-thirds that are necessary uh, for a conviction. But, uh, you know, there is this uh, possibility that the Democrats try to find a way to cast a vote, which would be a purely majority vote, uh, 51 needed, to bar the president from holding uh, elected office. And uh, there's some question about whether or not that is constitutional. And, Bill, you know, we are in uncharted territories here. Uh, there, There is one other case in U.S. history. Uh, there was a, a cabinet secretary in the administration of Ulysses S. Grant uh, back in the mid-1800s who was impeached and did stand trial after he resigned from office. Uh, so there's one example that the Democrats point to. But, uh, yeah, we shall see how this uh, all plays out.
0: Mm-hmm. If the impeachment doesn't go through, Rob, what is plan B? I know Democrats have something... Uh that they're thinking about for plan B? Is it a censure?
1: Yes. So so some Democrats have, uh, Tim Kaine specifically, uh, the senator from from my uh, home state of Virginia, Mm -hmm. um, has has said that censure should be an option uh, that very well may uh, attract some more Republican votes. It wouldn't be as harsh of a punishment as impeachment. Um, So that is something that uh, certainly could be considered. I think it's a big question though, Bill. I mean, at some point, I think even the Democrats will want to move on from from talking about President Trump to to focusing on the future. And as long as these things drag out in Washington, and we know from the last four years or longer um, that President Trump is somebody who's a magnet for attention. And by holding this trial, it certainly puts him back in the center of the, the news cycle um, instead of other things like a covid relief and uh, and the agenda of the new president, Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I would think that they would want to get this thing concluded quickly, but if the president's counsel or uh, President Trump's counsel drags this out for any reason, it, it could bring out all kinds of things that they did, did not anticipate. I mean, if they start calling a lot of witnesses and, and, and other uh, people from the Democratic side, it could get real ugly.
1: That's right. The last impeachment trial, which which took place a year ago, um, did move relatively quickly. Uh, I, I expect that this one's going to at least drag into next week because, you know, the, each side is afforded now some side. You know, either the Democrats uh, who are prosecuting the case or the defense uh, from President Trump, you know, they may yield back time and it could speed things up. But but Bill, I think that we're looking at at least dragging out throughout the entire week. And then, of course, we go into uh, to, to a holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're probably looking at, uh, this, this not being wrapped up anytime, anytime soon. And you're right. Uh, it could be an opportunity for the former president who now is without, uh, his social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook to use it as an opportunity to get some points across that he'd like to make. And so I think that, uh, there's a lot of unknowns, uh, in this, in this particular case. And, uh, and, and there's going to be use of, uh, you know, videos and multimedia and things that, you know, probably the founders never envisioned would be part of an impeachment trial. But uh, but certainly in today's day and age will be a centerpiece.
0: Rob, let's talk about the Supreme Court ruling about California not enforcing its coronavirus-related bans on indoor worship.
1: Well, and Bill, you and I have talked about uh, cases like this before. So, you know, it's, a, it's another example of— uh, these uncharted territory this uncharted territory that we're in, where each state seems to have different rules and restrictions when, with regarding to religious services and uh, and California uh, not perhaps not surprisingly was fairly strict in its uh, coronavirus related bans on indoor worship and uh, yes you're absolutely correct the Supreme Court did rule on Friday that California cannot enforce. Uh, its uh, restrictions. It was a six to three ruling issued very late at night, by the way, eleven p.m. Uh, it had uh, four different statements from the justices that typically shows that there's uh, some division on the court. Obviously, uh, in in this particular ruling, um, and uh, you know they broke along the types of lines that you would probably expect the justices to when it comes to an issue like this. Uh, justices Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch uh, said that the the church's request. Um, which, which wanted to lift the restrictions, um, should, should be adhered to. Uh, and you had uh, Justice Samuel Alito, who was another Republican appointee, mostly in agreement with them. Um, and so you know, you you had two of the newer justices, uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, both of whom were appointed by President Trump, uh, who struck a slightly different approach, um, uh, but still went along with uh, with with the majority. So you know, it's uh, it's an inter- certainly an interesting case. Um, and again, it put John Roberts on the other side, and, and you know, so we uh, we shall see. Um, uh, how it ultimately plays out and affects jurisdictions all across the country. The Supreme Court does is the final say on, on such matters, and I think that it's a much needed clarity, uh, particularly for those of us who uh, practice our religious faith and want to safely uh, continue worshiping even during COVID. Um, and Bill, you know, even in, in my own circumstance, I think I've told your listeners before that uh, we actually switched to a different church uh, because. Uh, we were um, not pleased with the virtual-only worship. And so we wanted to have an in-person experience, outdoors, uh, as it were, and now we're we're stuck in our cars, <laughs> um, in, yeah. in part because in part because that's what the bishop of our diocese mm-hmm. has instructed us to do, and uh, and she's also um, told us that we can't serve uh, communion anymore, which okay. is uh, a disappointment. So you know, every um, every denomination I think does it differently. Every state's uh, doing it slightly differently, and I think the Supreme Court offering some clarity is is certainly helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, explain an update for my smart listeners. The 1776 commission. I know President Biden has canceled it, but that doesn't mean there isn't life beyond this cancellation, right?
1: That's right. Well, thank you for asking about it. The 1776 commission was something that President Trump established back on July 4th at a time when we saw a lot of the riots happening all across of America, people questioning our history and, uh, and trying to, in some cases to rewrite our history. Uh, we saw that very very clearly, with the New York Times, which said seventeen seventy six isn 't the real founding sixteen nineteen is, and so President Trump, i think, gave uh, the commission its name in part uh, as as a rebuttal to uh to that sixteen nineteen project it was called the seventeen seventy six commission it uh it had a group of of leaders uh, who were uh, noted experts on American history, uh, and they put together in a very quick time frame. Uh, keep in mind that not all you know things don't often happen this quickly in government, but they wanted to get it done before the president left office. And uh, one of my colleagues, uh, uh, in fact, um, uh, one of and my former boss, <laughs> Mike Gonzalez, who who, uh, who I work alongside with at the Heritage Foundation, served as one of the commissioners. And the report came out a few days before the president left office. Uh, on one of his first actions as president, Joe Biden, uh, not only disbanded the commission, but he also deleted the report. Um, so it became hard to find. We uh, we have a copy that we've posted at the Daily Signal. So uh, your listeners can go read it if they'd like. And, uh, and you know, I think that the most encouraging thing about this is, Bill, even though the President Biden took this action, the commissioners have said that they're going to continue to meet. They're going to continue to do the work that uh, they were charged to do. And that is making sure that our founding Ideals continue to be be heard by uh, the American people. And they'll do so in a private capacity outside of the government's purview. Uh, but I think it's encouraging that uh, they um, they have this group that they formed and they're going to hopefully continue to make some progress. And I think one of the most important things that that came out of the commission's report is uh, is this focus, and we've talked about this I think just as recently as last week, um, on equality and, and pushing back on this notion of equity, which uh, is, is quite different uh, in terms of the uh, the president's meaning uh, than than the equality that I think uh, our founders really really championed. So uh, you know, putting a putting a focus back on history and and a true understanding of our our nation's founding is is important. It's something that I think we um, we can all do a better job of, and we can particularly as parents do a better job of educating our children about. It.
0: Awesome, Rob Bluey is my guest. We're going to take a little break when we come back. Lots more with Rob Bluey who is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. You can always head to dailysignal.com. dot com. We'll take a short break and be right back. to the show so glad that Rob Blue is my guest today it's how we get Tuesdays started so rob i assume that you had a little opportunity on sunday to watch the uh, the football game
1: I did. Yes. Uh, we, we, we wanna... enjoyed it as much as we could as, <laughs> as, uh, as a Steelers fan. Um, uh, you know, obviously a disappointing not to have your own, own team playing bill, but, um, uh, but you know, it was, uh, not, not as thrilling of uh, a Super Bowl on the field, but, um, uh, you know, we always watch it for the TV ads and everything else that goes along with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And what did you think of the commercials? Uh,
1: you know, on the whole, um, uh, I think it was a little bit more subdued, probably for, for the mood of our country right now with, uh, with the, the pandemic that we find ourselves in. Um, some better than others, uh, I, I, I mean, some which were overtly political, uh, you know, uh, the, the G bad with Bruce Springsteen being one example of that. Um, but I think that, you know, there were some wholesome messages and then there were some things that were just oddball and wacky, but, you know, that's typically, I guess, what you, what you get every year. Some people do better than others, but yeah, I, I thought that, um, with Bruce Springsteen in particular, uh, we just published a piece by Tony Perkins, who's president of the Family Research Council on the Daily Signal, which your listeners can check out, uh, doing a, a, a deeper dive on just what some of the meanings behind that ad really were. And I think that um, it, was, it was problematic in the sense that uh first of all Bruce Springsteen is somebody who's not known to be a centrist so p- portraying himself as one in the ad was was just kind of bizarre uh he's he's been critical of of republicans long before Donald Trump ever came on the scene and some of the things he said about George Bush um you know probably I can't repeat on your show uh so ha- having him as the messenger was was an odd statement but um <laughs> but you know Bill uh <laughs> there was one really weird thing about that uh in the graphic uh, for the ad Uh, They had um, a a tagline that said, the reunited States of America. And right in the middle of it was a red star right in Kansas, um, where, where the ad was, I guess, filmed mm-hmm. and, uh, and the red star, you know, is is a symbol of communism and socialism and, and things that are, are diametrically opposed to the American ideal. So I don't know what message Jeep was trying to send, or if it was even a subliminal message or just a, a pure coincidence. I don't think that there probably are. Uh, but you know, uh, I, I, uh, I think that it's good for, for your listeners and others to pick up on these things because sometimes those subtle messages, uh, do really send a signal to other other people about uh, the direction that they may want to see our country go. Mhm. The other sweet ad
0: was the one that Toyota put out of the little girl that was adopted that had to have her legs amputated right after she was adopted.
1: That's right, and and those are the types of ads that I, I when I spoke about heartwarming ads. I mean, those are the types that you you really like to see, and it, it just you know it gives you chills even watching them. Um, so I think that there's some really good production that, that companies do, and and there there you go. I mean, having two different uh, two different major corporations uh, with with two very different types of messages, uh, you know, it just goes to show that uh, even their the, the political nature of the super bowl. And, um, uh, we didn't last year, uh, if I recall correctly, president Trump advertised during, during the big game. So, you know, there was, uh, there, there's always that component to it and there's always that criticism afterward. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, Bill, I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take, we'll take it. We'll, we'll do our critiques after the fact and, uh, and some are, some will become out winners and, and some will be long forgotten.
0: Yeah. Do you anticipate buying a David Hogg pillow? No.
1: <laughs> I don't. Uh but I do enjoy <laughs> I do my wife and I do have the MyPillow and okay. I, I will tell you. I will t- not not to make an endorsement or anything, but it, no, it no. is it is a great product. Um but yet look, this is a this is a controversy. <laughs> I mean, uh, Mike Lindell uh, has been saying some things that um, uh, that are are very controversial.. Sure. And uh, there there are obviously people, there's a there's a large number of people, maybe some of your listeners included, who still have some serious questions about things that transpired. On election day and i think that they're frustrated that they haven't been able to get some answers and now um you know there there are people who are finding themselves shut out of social media because they've they've posed those questions and and frankly bill i think that you know i err on the side as i've told you before of more free speech and and allowing people to ask questions and even if you know you head down a conspiratorial path i think that you should be able to push back on those individuals and and speak the truth and, uh, and I'm not really in favor of just shutting people down and, and, and blocking them and, and, and whatnot. So uh, I, I, in other words, I don't like cancel culture. And mm-hmm. I think cancel culture uh, probably does more harm uh, for our country than it does good. Mm-hmm.
0: Rob, I'd love for you to uh, delve into the COVID relief package a little bit more. Uh, I know we touched on it before the break, but I, w- I would love to hear what uh, the administration is doing and how they're going about uh, getting this money delivered and how much do you think will, will be delivered?
1: Sure. Well, so uh, a few details. First of all, uh, I thought it was really encouraging. Uh, i like to give credit where it's due uh, to, to Joe Biden and, and, and those in the White House, uh, particularly because we don't see eye to eye on a lot of policy issues. But I thought it was really uh, positive that he invited 10 Republicans to the Oval Office for his first real signature Oval Office meeting. Um, but we quickly saw after that that he pivoted – I don't want to say it was a publicity stunt, but, I mean, he didn't really even wait a couple of days before he said he was moving on with his own package and the, what the Republicans proposed was was just not not w- even worth negotiating, essentially. Um, so we're, we're back to where we started, <laughs> uh, which is a $1.9 trillion package, uh, which includes a whole assortment of, of, of policy odds and ends, including things like raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, which – I know your listeners will be right to say, what does that have to do with COVID relief? Uh, it's a long-standing priority of the Democrats, but they're trying to pack it into the bill. Um, I think the most notable things that uh, that your listeners might be interested in is the direct payments. So uh, even under President Trump, we had direct payments to Americans up to a certain income level. Uh, the Democrats have decided that fourteen hundred dollars will be the amount that they will be, uh, you know, p- trying to pass in, in Congress. Uh, that'll go to individuals up to seventy five thousand dollars and couples up to one hundred who make up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And and that's that's not as much as some people want. Uh, Biden uh, said that. Uh, he he wanted he was going to promise two thousand. I think he's settled at the fourteen hundred number because uh, people received six hundred dollars uh, b- during the end of the year there when when Trump negotiated uh, his own package. So uh, that's one of the big things. There will be obviously a whole lot more uh, in the bill. There's there's a lot to do with child poverty. Um, surprisingly, uh, that's an area where you've had Mitt Romney and some Democrats come together. Uh, not exactly the pro- type of proposal that we like at uh, at the Heritage Foundation or the Daily Signal uh, because it, um, it it doesn't necessarily have all of those types of, uh, uh, the accountability that I think makes, uh, makes some of those welfare programs really work um, as intended. Uh, so we're gonna keep a close eye on it though. I think that we're a long way from this uh, becoming a reality. Uh, they do have to clear some hurdles through Congress. Uh, specifically, they would like to pass the bill with, uh, with just 51 votes. But in order to do that bill, you have to go through what's known as a reconciliation process, and not all of those policy provisions are going to be allowed in the bill. So the Senate parliamentarian, for instance, might have to uh, rule that some are Outside of that that normal uh, budget process, um, so you know it's uh, it's an interesting uh, approach that Biden has taken. It reminds me a lot of what President Barack Obama did early in his tenure when he pla- passed um, a big stimulus bill without any Republican support, and uh, it seems like we're headed down that same path uh, with this one. Mm-hmm. Rob, when you gather with
0: your children at night and and pray in at their at their beds with them, do you encourage uh, to be praying for? Uh, our world leaders and our government and our president, um, or are you not that evolved when it comes to? I mean, that probably not. Yes. That, I'm not. That's not the right question. But yeah. I'm saying, are you a, a, a the kind of person that says, "Let's get them praying for the president" at this age?
1: Yes, uh, and, and we, we we do on Sundays at church as well. I mean, I think that that was that was. Um, that was a point of contention, you know, among uh, among some people who, who you know, just had such a visceral dislike for Donald Trump about whether you should still continue to pray for him as a world leader. <laughs> and and obviously, I think that you should uh, pray for our, our president, uh, regardless of what party they belong to. Right. So uh, that's at least my my view, Bill. I'm sure that, you know, there are people out there who might disagree with me on that. But, yeah, no, I think it's important to encourage the kids. Uh, to do that, uh, we usually do our prayers uh, around the dinner table uh, before we eat, and, um, and it's important. I think that that's an important thing uh, for for families to do, particularly at a time uh, when we are, fa- as a nation, facing so many challenges and struggles. And I think uh, keeping our leaders um, in our prayers is important. Yeah. Rob,
0: I appreciate you coming on uh, Tuesdays and letting me know what's happening in, in our great uh, c- our capital. Thank you so much for uh, being so regular and consistent and always doing such a great job.
1: Well, thank you, Bill, and we appreciate the work you're doing at Faith Radio, so keep it up. Yep. Rob Louie is my guest.
0: He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always head to dailysignal.com. So that is going to be all for Rob. Today, we're going to have a great uh, guest coming up next. Uh, Scott Hubbard's going to be joining us from desiringgod.org. We're going to talk about personal holiness. That's going to be coming up uh, in the next half hour. And then in hour two, Vince is going to be joining us, and we're going to talk about his work as he does a lot of mentoring to men. And if you remembered last time Vince was on, he offered if you wanted to be personally mentored, he'd do it. And I bet that offer still holds. So you're going to want to tune in for sure and not miss that. That's at 5 o'clock starting tonight. So let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll welcome uh, Scott Hubbard to the show. does the topic of personal holiness come up in your conversation? Does it come up ever, or does it come up once in a while? We're going to talk about it today with Scott Hubbard. He uh, is a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary and an editor for DesiringGod.org. He lives in Minneapolis with his wife and son, and I'm awfully glad to have him on the program for the very first time. Scott, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to being here. Yeah. Well, you've picked an amazing topic. I love this topic. And the title of this off the Desiring God website is, Holy is Who You Are, a Missing Weapon in the War Against Sin. Now, I love this topic, so let's, uh, let's jump into it. Let's first of all talk
2: about the fact that we are holy because God has made us that way. Yeah. It's... Not an entirely common way to talk about holiness, and I'm perhaps coming from some circles where talk of personal holiness is maybe more common than others, but the typical phrasing that I've heard that I use, and it's it's biblical phrasing, it's just not the whole story, is to talk about the pursuit of holiness, Yes, the pursuit of holiness, which gives an image perhaps of someone straining ahead, someone in a race, running ahead to seize the prize of holiness. Which is which is a fine biblical way to talk about that. Hebrews talks about striving for the holiness without uh which without no one will see the Lord. So that's a biblical image and yet if that's all we have then we're missing something massively important to the New Testament which is As soon as we become Christians, as soon as we are joined to Jesus by faith alone, we share his holiness. Mm -hmm. We are holy in him. That's the point I was hoping you would make, because I didn't say it very
0: well, and you showed up and said it beautifully. Because it is because of Christ that we have his holiness.
2: That's right, yeah. So, 1 Corinthians one thirty. I love the way that Paul puts it here. He says, Because of God you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. And sanctification is another word that the New Testament writers use to talk about holiness. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, if we talk about words like sanctification and holiness, and we use those in mixed company, we're going to get a lot of raised eyebrows, aren't we? Well, explain more of what
2: you mean. Well, like I'm I'm holy because God has made me holy. Yeah. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, sure. And, you know, we have that phrase holier than thou for people like
0: that. That's a catchphrase for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yet it shouldn't be that eyebrow raising if we're thinking along the lines of the New Testament. To be an unholy Christian is, from one angle, a contradiction in terms. Because, like we're talking about, when... God calls us and joins us to Christ. He not only gives us his righteousness, which is something that we love to talk about as Christians, you know, the doctrine for that is justification, Mm -hmm. but he also gives us the holiness of Jesus, which appears uh, in a place we often skip over right at the beginning of so many of the New Testament letters where Paul and others will address Christians as saints. You are a saint if Mm -hmm. you are in Christ. Saint isn't something for, you know, particularly holy people, but saint is what's true of everybody in Christ. And of course, there's a practical, lived out, nitty gritty, earthy holiness that we pursue after we are joined to Jesus by faith. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, God has made us holy. When he looks at us, he sees Holiness, just as Jesus is holy, because we are in him.
0: I Keep faith. talking, brother. I love this. You know, no, I'm serious. Keep talking, because, you know, usually we say things like, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and, you know, all that is true, but yep. let's talk about the true reality of our reality. Yeah. Abiding yeah. in Christ.
2: And of course, there's a way to talk about who we are in Christ that would perhaps come across as naive or, you know, maybe we're swinging, you could swing too far the other way and not give uh, appropriate attention to our remaining sinfulness, which is so real, you know, the war against sin is going to be with us until we die. Mm-hmm. And so there will never be a day where we don't need to pursue holiness as a lived out reality, put our sin to death, and that struggle is daily. Yeah, And yet... We ought not think of ourselves fundamentally at bottom as sinners. When God looks at us, when we come into Christ, we have a fundamentally different identity than when we were out of Christ. And so, although, yes, there's a war within us, there's an old man and there's a new man, we fight against sin and we also have the, the beginnings of fully lived out holiness within us, our new identity in Christ trumps the old identity in, you know, the old man as a sinner. So we fight sin, but we are not fundamentally at bottom sinners anymore.
0: Yeah, we're not even interested in fighting sin until we come to faith in Christ.
2: Absolutely not. Yeah, that's right. It's a a, a new awareness when God brings us into Christ, into relationship with him. All of a sudden, our conscience is awakened into a new level where it hasn't been before. We become alive to the preciousness of Christ, the goodness of holiness. You know, holiness uh, can sound like a stuffy word, Mm -hmm. but to those who know it, to those who are experiencing it, it's not a stuffy word. Holiness is an awesome thing. It is a glorious thing. Mm -hmm. And when we are walking in the Holy Spirit, we want uh, little else more than to be holy as Mm -hmm. Christ is holy.
0: Let me read two sentences um, from your article. And you used good grammar and punctuation on these sentences, so
2: nothing to be ashamed of, right? (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that. All
0: right. It says, before we ever began to pursue holiness, holiness pursued us, found us, claimed us, filled us. Whether we feel like it right now or not, holy is who we are.
2: Yeah, that's right. So before we ever take one step toward putting our sin to death, and you can fill in the blank here if it's uh, particular sins of the tongue or sexual immorality or the fear of man or whatever else. Before we ever take one step toward any practical steps of walking in holiness, the God of holiness claims us in Christ. He comes after us and fills us with his Holy Spirit as he ignites faith in Jesus in us such that as Paul says later in 1 Corinthians you are a temple of the holy spirit you know that's true the moment somebody believes in Jesus mm-hmm. that's not that's not a an achievement right. you know 5 10 15 20 years down the line oh now you're a temple of the holy spirit mm-hmm. no that's 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 uh, first step stuff. That's day one of Christianity. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, and then you have a new identity as a holy one, which is really just what the word saint means. You are a holy one.
0: Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can get to a point where we sin is something we hate.
2: Absolutely. it's It is hateful, and one of the things that, Holy Spirit does when He comes to indwell us is work on what we hate and what we love, work on the affections deep down of our hearts. You know, at the moment of conversion, at the moment of new life in Christ, there is a seed of holy hatred for sin, there is a seed of holy longing for God, for Jesus, for the life of holiness. And one way to think about the Christian life is an increasing love for the life that God is calling us into, which is especially one of knowing him, loving him, enjoying him, and an increasing hatred for the life that all of us once loved, which was a life of not knowing him, enjoying him, loving him, but of walking away from him. And so... There is a good kind of hatred that God calls us to, the yeah. hatred of our sin, yeah. For a rookie on the radio, you're really good. <laughs> well, I'm enjoying this. You're, oh, good. you're a good host, yeah. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, I
0: love some of this imagery that you have uh, given in this article. Imagine yourself in the midst of temptation. Some crude joke is about to cross your lips. Some fantasy has offered to entertain you, or some website has reminded you of its presence. Now imagine yourself transplanted in an instant to the temple of the living God. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And that imagery is taken from 1 Corinthians 6. So Mm. there, as many listeners may know, Paul is addressing in particular men who are tempted to sexual immorality. And not only tempted, but men who have been walking in homosexual immorality. And Paul Uh, uses this language of the temple to help them to grasp the gravity of what is going on in a moment of temptation. So that's where the language comes. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? As he says a few verses before that, you're, you're a member of Christ. In other words, you are joined to the Holy One. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. You are a temple. And so the imagery there is... Uh, temple imagery. And so, if I imagine in the moment of temptation, which very often part of what makes temptation so powerful is that it it uh, insanely makes us forget God, forget that He is here, that He is present and who we are in Him. But if the Holy Spirit might use that imagery in the moment of temptation, we might wake up to realize that we are not alone. We are in the very presence of God, in a more holy or concentrated presence of the holiness of God than in, than if we were in the initial entrance to the temple in Jerusalem under the old covenant. Because the holiness is not only around us, like it would be if you were walking through the temple, but the holiness is inside us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, that changes the game, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. We're no, we're no longer alone, just on our own doing our own thing, but we are in the presence of the Holy One. He is with us. He is in us.
0: Mm-hmm. How often do you think we do talk about this amongst each other? Does this get talked about uh, in small group at in churches? Do we bring this up in conversation in our Bible studies? How often is this a topic of discussion? Personal holiness.
2: Well. Or, or does that make you feel like self-righteous? Oh, he wants to, <laughs> he wants to talk about personal holiness. It could. <laughs> it could make you uh, feel that way. I, I, I think there are different church cultures. But there's you know? so much good
0: news here. There's so much good Scott, news. God, according yeah. to
2: this, you know, these beautiful promises of Christ. The, there is so, so much good news. And I think that's, you know, so some church cultures, for one reason or another, are particularly alert to the dangers of legalism. Okay, So they want to make sure that we are not falling into any trap where we are all of a sudden trying to work for our right standing with God as if we could somehow obey enough or become holy enough in order for God to accept us. And that's a good impulse as far as it goes. But I think in some of our Christian cultures, our church cultures, it can lead to an allergic reaction to a dominant New Testament emphasis, which is pursuing the life of holiness in Christ, which is not legalism, but is instead simply an outworking of the new life that God has given us in Jesus and an opportunity to grow our joy in him. Holiness is absolutely good news. Such a happy word. Yeah, I love this line
0: too, Scott. If the Holy Spirit has made His home in our souls, then not only must we be holy, we can be. We're not even eligible to be holy until we have made that decision to invite Christ in.
2: It's true, and yeah. I think that gets at a another common misunder, misunderstanding, or if not misunderstanding on a head level, at least a, a misunderstanding on the heart level. It can it can show up in our lived experience that we can treat holiness as perhaps the result of uh, mere self-discipline or a five-step plan or simply making a better habit or something like that. But holiness is not the same thing as self-help. <laughs> it Good is distinction. Yeah. yeah. It, it is the very life of the Holy Spirit within us, the very power of the Holy Spirit within us working out the life of Christ in us. And so, by definition, just like you said, holiness can't be ours unless the Holy Spirit is working it within us. Mm -hmm. Is that a completed thought? Well, you know, it does bring up something else. Just, you asked a moment ago if we talk about this very much in our Bible studies and our churches and things like that, and I do think there is talk of a lot of uh, self-improvement in Church cultures and our Bible studies. There, there's talk. Of course, we don't want to. We don't want to be wrecking our lives. If anyone who is in Christ has a conscience who is awake and knows that walking in various kinds of sin are not right, and it inevitably steals our joy away from us, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, we can't be happy as God made us to be as long as we're walking in sin. But uh, I think. There can be a temptation to think of holiness, and this might sound a little abstract, but hopefully I can make it concrete. It can be a temptation to think of holiness as uh, just a set of moral virtues, perhaps, like holiness is becoming patient, or holiness is becoming gentle, or holiness is not getting angry as much or not gossiping as much. And if that's the only way we think about holiness, then the pursuit of holiness can uh slowly become separated from jesus <laughs> but really uh holiness is patience and gentleness and things like that but the way toward those is by growing closer in communion with christ because those are ultimately holiness is ultimately christ likeness worked out in the ins and outs of everyday life. And so we want to be not only patient, but patient as Jesus is patient. Mm -hmm. Not only gentle, but gentle as he is gentle. And that comes out not through self-discipline, not through 10 steps, but through a deep and abiding and increasing relationship with him.
0: Mm -hmm. Scott Hubbard is my guest. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. He's a uh, writer and editor at DesiringGod.org. We're discussing one of his many articles he has up over there. You can head to desiringgod.org. This particular story is called Holy is Who You Are, A Missing Weapon in the War Against Sin. Back with Scott Hubbard, making his first appearance here on the afternoon show. We're awfully glad he can make time today to be here. He is a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary, and editor over at DesiringGod.org, and we're talking about personal holiness, which I, I love the topic. And I'd like to almost break off a little bit because this is this is a part of that topic, um, Scott, and that's
2: being faithful in small things. Yeah, it is a part of the same topic. I would because agree often the uh, the idea of holiness or even just the word holiness can bring to mind really big things. Like, I mean, the way we use the word saint, like we were talking about mm-hmm. just a few minutes ago, brings that to mind. Talk about saint, you think of a Mother Teresa or someone else like that and not an ordinary Christian sitting next to you on Sunday right. morning. And I think in holiness, more broadly, we can think that way. To be holy is... Uh, is something grand, something big, it happens in big moments, or things like that. But holiness is really the outworking of 10,000 small moments where we choose, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus, uh, to listen to his word, and to take a small and perhaps even forgettable step in the direction where he calls us. And so if we are thinking of holiness or the Christian life even beyond holiness, only in big terms, ironically, we may never grow much in holiness at all or our growth will be stunted as opposed to thinking of Holiness more realistically, more on a, on a smaller level, on a more nitty-gritty level, on a more moment-by-moment level. That is actually how the life of holiness grows and thrives in us. By not thinking that any moment is too small to obey God and for him to be pleased with us. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that reminder of the faithfulness in small things.
0: That's something that we can have, we can start today with.
2: Yeah, it really is. And I think that there are a lot of us who dream of big things, which is good. It's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely is a good thing. And yet we can dream of big things in a way that takes our eyes off of the small things that God has put in front of us Mm. this afternoon or this evening. Yeah. And so I was thinking about this uh, recently. There can be a way of Uh, You know, you can consider a a college student who is dreaming of being a sacrificial husband and father someday. That's a big thing. That's a big, huge, grand calling. Mm -hmm. And yet he can uh, not do his chores today with his roommates. Okay, Okay. that's a a big thing, wanting to be a, a sacrificial husband and father, and yet Dreaming of that big thing takes his eyes off the small thing, which is the very means that <laughs> God might use to get him to the big thing. Right. And there are just all sorts of examples we can think about that or ways we can work that out in different scenarios. But it's more exciting to think about the bigger thing. It's more exciting to think about tomorrow, you know, in a metaphorical sense. What am I going to be doing 10 years from now, five years from now? It's less exciting to think about doing the dishes. <laughs> it's less exciting to think about changing a diaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of which you do both uh, yeah, yeah. I, of which I do both, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely <laughs> and uh, i I can get caught up in that, you know i can I can be sitting over over my Bible in the morning, uh being being all holy quote unquote and and <laughs> fail to change change my son 's diaper, you know get up to get up to do that, mm-hmm. and not uh, so that my wife doesn 't have to mm-hmm. and and there can be a faulty way of thinking like, oh, well, if I'm, if I'm pursuing holiness and that's something different from the actual (laughs) small practical ways of walking in, in love and in obedience to God. And he really does notice those small moments. You know, it's so remarkable just how much, uh, Jesus redefines what is big and what is small for his disciples. Mm -hmm. They have an idea of big And it is the world's idea of big. It's large crowds. It's important people. It's uh, an important status. And Jesus, again and again, (laughs) tells them that the big things are actually the things that look small in most of our eyes, or at least a lot of the big things. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing to spend time with children like Jesus did. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing to give a cup of cold water in his name. Yeah. Scott, let's tackle a problem. I mean a question that just
0: came in from a listener in our remaining couple minutes here. Um I I'm confused about deciding or choosing to follow Christ. Is that something we do, or is that something granted to us, lest no man should boast? Is faith granted or is it grabbed onto?
2: It's a great question. And the answer is both
0: i'd say yes to both too yeah
2: so it's clear and you can read ephesians 2 for example Mm -hmm. paul saying uh this is not your own doing and there he's talking about faith faith is not your own doing it is a gift of god Mm -hmm. and yet the way that jesus paul all the biblical writers talk about faith they don't therefore assume that we have nothing to do no, they, they call, they implore, they say, choose this day whom you will serve. The, that wording is from Moses. But all of the biblical authors are robust in the invitations that they give to believe, even though, ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit himself who must who must grant it. And so it, it is a both and rather than an either or. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking
0: about Billy Graham's career and his amazing um, ministry, and, and I was thinking he probably was always faithful in the small things and and then god would continue to give him opportunities going forward
2: that's right and that's a principle that jesus tells us yeah he tells us uh he who is faithful in little is also faithful yeah. in much yeah the parable of the talents yep. says the same thing and so yeah the best training ground for big things is the day of small things if we by god's grace can learn to be faithful in a forgotten place, in small moments among ordinary days. Mm-hmm. Then that is that or, is the best way to become faithful in larger. Or things. you may not get recognized for it. That's right. You may not. And you know it would be wrong to think, oh, I'm okay. Sure, I'll put in my time in, you know in this forgotten place, so I can be recognized later on. You know, it may never it may never get there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that. There will be a lot of surprises on the last day, and people who were forgotten by the world will only then get the recognition that they have always had in the eyes of Jesus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He says the first will be last, last first. Scott, do come back. Well, very glad
0: to be on here. Thanks, Bill. Thank you so much. Scott Hubbard has been my guest. You can head to desiringgod.org. He has many articles up there at the website, desiringgod.org. The one we chatted about today is called Holiness is Never Far From Home. Fighting Sin and Satan. That's a different article, isn't it? (laughs) Here I had my big strong finish and I blew it. Anyway, (laughs) we'll we'll talk about that next time. We'll take a short break and be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.